Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bercher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This is episode 152. That's right, there are three over three years of archived episodes on my website, www.chrisbercher.com. You can subscribe to Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom on your favorite podcast platform, or you can find the same episodes in video form on YouTube. I'd appreciate you checking those out again to sort of help connect all of us in this <laughs> this discourse, this uh, that this virtual discourse, I think that that, that is emerging uh, globally as of late 2023, and rebelling against the norms, which is a great segue into the name of this current episode, episode 152. I'm calling "The Mind Is a Splendid Thing," and this is kind of. Well, here's where this is coming from. So in, in, in my therapy adventures as of late, um, the new therapist that I'm working with has sort of opened the door to studying what people are now calling ASD or autism spectrum disorder. And I'm amazed. First of all, I don't have a dog in this fight. You know, I just want to understand myself better and all of the different modalities, models, tools, and concepts that we can I can use to sort of better understand myself and 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 come up with explanations uh, about why I am how I am that aren't shame-based because I think I grew up thinking there was something wrong with me. And anything that I can find that says that that's not true, because definitively I'm pretty sure that's not true. I don't think there's anything wrong with me. I don't think there's really anything wrong with anybody with the whole idea of a person being wrong is absurd, and that's what this episode's about. Uh, but that's what triggered this is me thinking, it amazes me how many different explanations we have for things uh, about the way that we are, you know, wh- whether that's like, you know, sexual perversion and that perversion is a, is a judgment here or sexual preferences or things like that, or, or religion or ideas or thinking or how much sleep you need at night or what your dietary uh, interests are. There's so many forces in the world that are trying to push us into, you know, into typical uh, categories. And I get that, you know, I get that. It kind of goes back to the thing I always talk about with the naturalist. Are you a lumper or a splitter? You know, to some degree, we want people to all be the same. Well, I don't, but I think there are systems out there that benefit from the people being all the same because we're much easier to control. You know, governments that have predictable citizenry, you know, can make decisions more easily and they can, they can sort of assume things are going to work out okay and they don't have to worry about all this noise, right? We don't like noise. We like to put things into little categories and sort of explain things away. But you know what? That ain't the way it works, <laughs> unfortunately. And in my uniqueness imperative and to a lesser degree in the evolution paradox episodes, I argue that the entire basis of life and the entire kind of abiotic, the rest of it system that we live in assumes is based on, is defined by change. And that's the only way I know kind of time, I believe time is real because change occurs in a direction. You know, something will start out as an atom and that atom will find other atoms and become a molecule or get repelled and that molecule will, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth and things change. You know, uh, if you believe thermodynamics is accurate and, you know, it's a good explanation for things that we have now, that, that, that's what it talks about. So things are moving towards entropy, right? Towards d- towards chaos, towards scatter, because we can't really predict what's happening. And it's because every particle and everything that those particles become is sort of 
defined by and compelled to change, then everything should be increasingly changing, which of course is is a disaster. (laughs) Going back to what I said at the beginning, nobody can figure that out, right? How can we possibly live in a world where you can't you can't know what's happening. It's just fascinating. And, you know, I always think of, I don't really know what the concept of yin-yang is supposed to be about. And I think of that little yin-yang symbol with the black and the white tear, opposing teardrops. And to me, that's what this is. You know, I can't talk about that with any sort of a wisdom or knowledge about the topic. But, you know, these kind of conundrums, I think, are what what, what we are. <laughs> you know, they are somehow also inherent. You know that... Things change, if you believe that. Yet, what we want is for them not to change. <laughs> or, like, we're warm, but what we want in that case is to be cold. Like, again, I said in the last episode how you can sort of simultaneously hold two opposing opposite ideas or feelings at the same time. That is just how things are. Now, I don't have a theorem or a degree or a system or a paper or data to sort of illustrate that because, you know what, you can't do it that way. But I think you can find enough examples in the world to sort of say this kind of thing either is real and it's either going to drive you nuts <laughs> or you're going to make peace with it. Now, a kind of a, a basic example here is the idea of conformity and societal norms, right? I said that before. Societies want us to be predictable, right? They don't want us to develop uniqueness. And again, then the uniqueness imperative, I sort of make the case that DNA creates diversity. Each one of us is one diverse element of that. We're all necessarily at least a little bit, if not a lot, different from the next person. By definition, on purpose, there's meaning in that. That's inherent to everything that creates and makes us what we are. Everything is pushing us to be diverse. In an evolutionary sense, that makes total sense because the environment is like that. So we have to mirror an environment. And that's why the shift, and I talk about this in the sex episodes, there's a whole arc of sex episodes that talk about the, the shift from asexual reproduction, where basically everything is a carbon copy with very little potential for variation. That pretty much got replaced somewhere along the evolutionary record with sexual reproduction that sort of said, you know what? We need things to be different (laughs) so that different things can come out of the next generation that have a differential capacity to adjust and acclimate to the new environment that they're going to be born in. And, you know, a, a, a less biological and more sort of psychological example of this is uh, the relationship between career and college and generations in America. Coming out of World War II, things were scrambling. People said, don't spend any money. Put your head down. Work hard. Those people's kids got older and they said, you need to do better than me. I work too damn hard. You go to college and you'll get a better job and you won't have to work as hard and you'll make more money. And they did that and that all worked out. And the next generation said to their kids, which would be like me, you go to college, you get a good job and you're going to, you know, you're going to make more money. And you know what? It didn't work anymore. We kept applying the same rules thinking that in 30 years the thing conditions would be the same, but guess what? They ain't. You know, we got too complacent and sort of made some bad assumptions that the environment wasn't going to change anymore or that the rules that we developed at time A were also going to apply to time B. And that, my friends, is absurd. 
if we had any understanding of the preceding billions of years, we never would have applied that kind of thinking. I mean, I wish I could come up with an analogy, but I think that one just takes the cake, right? You live in a world where the fundamental drive of that world is change and that from day to day through time, because time is real, things are going to be different in the future than they are right now. And so why would you come up with a method that said, let's just assume everything's not going to change and we'll make it work. I mean, that's just, I I mean, maybe the title of this episode should be like the most backward thing (laughs) ever. And I'm not sure. Yeah. So the the, the title, the mind is a splendid thing could be subtitled conformity sucks. (laughs) You know, and that's kind of my second point here is that we're supposed to evolve Anything we do against that is bad news, or at least is gonna has a very a very high probability of not working out. Uh, and and so this is what again. Let's go back now to the ASD thing. So the interesting thing about the changes that have happened in the world of Aspergers, which is really no longer used, uh, and autism, uh, which is has all that language has changed in very recent years, which has also changed the apparent occurrence of autism. This information is being spread around. You can go on YouTube. You can find this stuff anywhere. Physicians, psychologists, psychiatrists, they're getting more trained in this stuff. More people are getting uh, diagnosed. That doesn't mean we're all making it up. It also doesn't mean that everybody is neurodivergent, right? But I would argue, if you believe any of that stuff I just said about the uniqueness imperative and DNA making us all unique and different, why wouldn't we be neurodivergent? <laughs> why would be why would be why would we be neuro the same? <laughs> you know, this is my point. There's gonna be like a bell curve, right? If it follows every the Gaussian distribution, and if you're not on YouTube, you're not seeing the bell shape that I'm making, where most people are gonna be kind of neuro average, right? And they're gonna be kind of similar to one another, but plenty of other people are, are gonna be way different from that. And so why would there not be a dare I use the word spectrum? of people's mental workings. Why would we ever think it would be the same? You know, especially the freaking mind. And again, I've said this before. The reason I use mind in the title of this episode is because what makes humans different is the sort of air quotes here, sophistication and air quotes again, complexity of our minds or brains. Right. That's what's a little bit different than most other animals. Now, we sort of, we don't even know how to talk about this. And so I'm going to use a lot of words here that are inaccurate, but it's all I got. So something like intelligence, right? We think we're more intelligent, whatever that means. We have a higher capacity for thought and translating that thought into new things and ideas. But we also think that there's also lots of other animals that may have intelligence, but we don't know because we can't measure it. We can't even measure our own intelligence. But things like dolphins, chimpanzees, even mollusks like cuttlefish and octopi, parrots, like, you know, these are the ones I can pull up right now. There are dogs. There are lots of other organisms out there that we think have kind of a degree of intelligence. So we're not like alone in this. We're just sort of more recently evolved, right? We're more derived, which means we came up, we came up later than all those other animals I just mentioned, right? Um, so we're kind of the next iteration of some of these ideas. And, and, and I'll also sort of mention that, okay, so the brain, it's really just our neurology, right? Our nervous systems, which we 
again, don't even really understand. You know, up until like 20 years ago, we thought it was just a brain and spinal cord. Now we think the nerves all through our body and especially in our guts, you know, have this capacity to participate in what we call thinking, right? So we just have a, a, a more intensely developed neurology, right? Which can make, you can make a leap from that to say, well, if it's more complex, then it's probably more, but uh, has more potential for new things. And maybe that's true. But then it gets even more complex because that's just the biology. We got this brain, we got these nerves, we got all this stuff. We don't know how it works, but it does a bunch of stuff. And there's billions of cells and it's so crazy, right? It's crazy. But there's also this thing now we call the mind, which is kind of like something else added to that. And that's sort of the realm of psychology. Like we have a mind, which maybe is is the biology part and sort of the spiritual part or something we call a soul. So the complexity just keeps getting higher and higher and higher. And I really think part of this complexity is, is kind of twofold, right? Uh, we have ourselves and our sense of self and our, well, what is my brain and what is my mind and what makes that up and how am I different from all these other things? And that kind of happens within like some boundary of whatever we think our individual self is. And really that assumption that that's what we are and that's all we are is kind of the trouble that we've gotten into lately because we've forgotten that we're also a part of the rest of reality. <laughs> we're connected to it. We are it. We're made up of it. We are stardust. You know, the, our particles used to be something else and we're all sort of part of the same soup. But because we have these physical skin barriers and sort of this idea of an individual mind as separate from the rest, that really complicates things. And then go back to the things I talked about in the last episode where we can simultaneously hold those two ideas. We are a separate individual at the exact same time that we are a fully connected part of the collective. You know, we until we can resolve that, we're not going to make any progress. In fact, I would argue that we're making all kinds of reverse evolution, <laughs> you know, because we can't see it that way. We see ourselves as uh, separate individuals. And, and this came up for me initially before in therapy, before the whole idea of autism or any of that stuff came up and I started studying these things was that I would say, I found myself saying this to multiple people and they all sort of flipped out that I, you know, that people ask you in therapy, do you love yourself? Because if you don't, then that's a problem, right? And so I would say, look, yeah, I think I'm, I'm an arrogant and confident and, and I don't understand why the rest of the world doesn't understand that I am this amazing person. And as much as they are too, I'm not trying to say I'm exceptional or deserve to be put on some pedestal, but I mean, why, why? Yeah. My problem is as I try to fit into the rest of the world, all of that breaks down. And I think that I'm so different, probably partly because I do love myself <laughs> so much. That just sounds pretentious to say, uh, but it's true. But then when I put myself out into the rest of the world, I think, well, why would anybody else love me? And that, it turns out, <laughs> is a type of thinking that isn't divergent from the norm. You know, most people don't have that, don't sense, I guess, I'm assuming, I can't really explain it, I just know that that part is true, Don't don't feel that that um, dissonance of the world telling me that I'm a separate entity, but feeling that I can't possibly only be that and that I have this bimodal existence of both being plugged in and not, and that 
the other people in the world don't really seem to think that way. And so, of course, that makes me feel like I'm different and crazy and, you know, can't possibly share. And so that got into the second thing about autism I found really intriguing, and that's the idea of masking which is basically what I used to call being a chameleon. You know, if I'm in some situation, I try to, to, to feel out the other people and get a sense of how I need to be to navigate that interaction. And I'll even change my behavior and my beliefs. And sometimes I find myself saying things that I don't really think are true. Um, and I don't, I've never really understood that. Uh, and, it, and, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of shame associated with that because I'm like, I'm not being very authentic. And I've heard that I'm supposed to be authentic because that's a good thing. But I'm not doing that, so what's wrong with me? And it just pushes me further and further away. And so in the absence of the simultaneous awareness and appreciation and love of our individuality and our belonging to the collective, we're fucked. You know, <laughs> that, that, that's the cause of the problem <laughs> in many ways. Until we can resolve that conflict and get society writ large to sort of understand it's important to recognize these things, we're going to push people away and we're going to continue to devolve, right? That's the importance of, of this. And so sort of the beginning that there is to say that all of our brains are necessarily different. Now there's a lot of similarities and I'm not saying you should be a lumper or a splitter here. I'm certainly would rather lump us together as being humans and brothers and sisters and all of that and not split us apart. But at the same time, we're, we, we each have a different mind as a result. If our brains are different, then our minds are different. Our souls are different. And so we're different. Now, the idea here is to figure out how to embrace worship, love, recognize, nurture the similarities and that there's family, but simultaneously recognize the uniqueness and the differences, right? We have to be able to do both. We can't, we can't, you know, and, 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 and to my error, I have often considered conformity to be a bad thing. Like if there's a bunch of people that are similar, and this is part of the reason I don't like sports. If everybody kind of seems the same, I see a flaw, you know, I see an error, a failure to recognize the difference, but we can do both. And I think to my defense, a lot of people do that. They're like, I'm for this team. You're for that team. We're different. We fight, you know, but really it's like, we're all the same, but I like this team and you like that team. And that's cool because that allows us to create this competitive rivalry that we all like, but let's realize and not forget that we're all the same. And again, it's that dissonance of being able to simultaneously hold these seemingly oppositional, separate, um, exclusive ideas. They can't possibly coexist in the same space, yet that is the entire point <laughs> that they do. The fact that we don't want them to, the fact that we're trying to push people to all be in the middle of the Gaussian normal curve so that we're predictable and there is no diversity and we're all the same and that makes things better. As much as we try to do that, that very trying is resistance and what you resist persists. And so we're never going to be able to get past it until we accept the fact that yes, we're all the same and yes, we're all entirely different. I mean, those two things are the truth. I mean, as close to the truth as we're going to get. And the reason that I can say that is because you look definitively over the last you know, the historic record and then everything that we think has happened in the last 13 billion years or whatever the history of the universe is, there's nothing truer than 
perpetual change, increased complexity, entropy. That's it. <laughs> We're all different. And it's, and it's beautiful that we are, and it's also complicated. But I just think the complications are coming because we can't acknowledge it, or we don't acknowledge it, or refuse to acknowledge it. We can't wrap our heads around the idea that we're just, we're as different as we are similar, and those differences should be celebrated and not punished. And that's kind of what we're doing now, right? Where it, when we do admit that there are differences, like a brain, like, oh, that kid's autistic, he's annoying, he screams, he's, he can't take care of himself, that's bad, 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 right? No, I mean, think about it. Think about it. Here's a great example. Everybody knows a Asperger's or autistic person that happens to be really good at something else. It's sort of like they say when a blind person's hearing gets you know, more developed than a sighted person's hearing because they don't put energy into the seeing and they have that excess energy that can go into the hearing. Well, I think it's the same thing with neurodivergence. You know, if if you're really bad at sort of being able to communicate, even talk, let's say, you don't have to worry about that part of your brain spending time doing that, which frees your brain up to do something else. And that something else might be something beautiful, like making amazing music or just being able to play something. Or, or it may be about creativity or about understanding the relationship between crops and soil and coming up with some new way of managing nutrients for food, right? The point is that until we can recognize diversity as being a beautiful, necessary contribution to our species and our biosphere, then we're doing it wrong. <laughs> you know, we're, we're admonishing and hiding and, and, and diminishing these potential contributions by calling them bad. And if you want to back up a little bit or go a little deeper, I'm not sure. It's sort of like the idea that you wouldn't want a gay person in your church or you wouldn't want a black person at your work. It's like, no, <laughs> the opposite is true. You want all of that because all of that is going to make this desire to conform and be so the same to go away. You know, we have to let go of that old belief that we all have to be white men <laughs> or whatever it is like whatever the belief is that we have to be the same thing is, is I'm pointing out all the, the one piece of information that definitively disproves, and I hate the word proof, that that ain't it, right? The way to the future is through diversity and diversity of thinking, diversity of minds is part of our evolution. And the fact that we would ignore, diminish, um, hide, you know, not recognize that is our fault. It's our flaw. It's a mistake. So the mind is a splendid thing. And this has been episode 152. I hope you find something useful in there. I'm Chris Bercher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. I'll see you next week. Take it easy. <laughs>